Alrighty. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, yeah, really appreciate you guys listening. We're on episode number 16. Oh, my God. 16. Mm. It's gone so fast. I know. We're going to be nearly um, in the 20s, which is fucking crazy. That's so exciting. Yeah. In the 20s. Yeah. I remember when we hit episode, like, five. Yeah, I know. I was what like, an achievement. What an achievement. <laughs> or, like, episode 10. Mm. And it was like, wow, episode it's 10, so- double digits. No, we're doing so well. And there's no fucking way I'm running out of stories. Like, the list I've got on my Google Docs is just crazy. Like, I sometimes have a very hard time mm. choosing my story. I actually, because Steph and I, we usually record on like a Saturday. If Saturday uh, doesn't work out, we'll record on a Monday. Mm-hmm. And usually, or not, uh, so sometimes mm. I get to like Thursday and I still haven't decided. Yeah. On what to do because I'm like, Me there's too. just so many good stories. I always have like three you know? in my mind, and I'm like, okay. I've got to narrow it down by Friday because Friday's mm. when I start writing it. So because yeah. I, I do work during the week and then mm. oh, I should be good to do it on the Tuesday when I've got Tuesday off, but I'm not that. I, I, yeah. I thrive in, in in chaos and, like, in deadlines chaos. and I'm yeah. like, it, <laughs> we're yes. doing it tomorrow? But then I'll, you yeah. know, then I'll be like, uh, can we record on Monday? Because <laughs> I haven't done I'm that, exactly so. the same. Yeah. My life is also chaos. My yeah. child is chaos. Yeah. I am chaotic. Everything because I pretty much can't write any of my stories during the day because I am a stay-at-home mom. Mm. So in my head, before I gave birth to my daughter, I was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna be a stay-at-home mom and like work from home and look after her at the same time." And it's like, <laughs> there's no way that that's happening. So I never get to write my story when I'm looking after oh my her gosh. in the daytime. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even so imagine trying to get yeah. like even just observing children, like not having them. I'm like, how how would you get anything done? So yeah. you can't get anything done today. I literally was like sitting on the toilet mm. with panda on my lap yeah yep. and she was like crying and like pulling at my hair mm. and i'm just like mum's doing a pee yeah <laughs> give me calm a down second. for a second give mommy a second come on <laughs> the dog's like watching me from the doorway <laughs> and, uh. yeah. oh god uh well i'm sure that we've got a lot of relatable listeners uh, yes uh, if not we just lost like 10 listeners yeah. <laughs> uh, what's what is your story because i don't even know nope. what yours is you do not know uh, and I don't know what yours is either. Mm. So my story this week is like a ghosty yep. story. Yeah. But it's also very sad. Oh. It's a very sad story um, and it's very interesting. Okay. But, I've, yeah, I've been wanting to do this one for a while. I'm really glad that I'm finally doing it. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's quite sad, but it's, yes, very interesting. What are you doing? What's your story this week? Um, Mine's a I mean, if you know UFO stuff, I'd say this is like a classic kind of Ooh. UFO incident that happened. Okay. It's really quite hard to find anything about this. Um, there's only kind of one form of um, like documentation you can get from this, about this, which is from a book that was written. Uh, from the person that experienced this. There's oh. no, like, real articles written on it or anything. It's very strange. I think they're kind of keeping it quite hush-hush. But right. um, I love this story. It It's mm. it's just a crazy UFO 
story. It's wild. And oh. yeah, it's pretty much going to be like a story. Like, really, I don't want to summarize too much, but I'm picking out points which I think are really interesting. And of course, if you want to know more, you should right. definitely read the book. But fuck, it's good. <laughs> Ooh, I love your, because yeah. you're such a like UFO aficionado. Mm. So you always have like the creme de la creme yeah, of yeah, UFO. Yeah, this is wild. Yeah, this stories. is like jaw dropping, like, what the fuck are you what like (laughs) yeah it's awesome i think yeah our i think our stories are going to be like quite contrasting this weekend because mine is like oh i guess it's a little bit jaw dropping in some aspects Mm -hmm. but it's it's quite different to like ufos aliens in the sky (laughs) and everything it is very much like that this one so yay it's good to have the contrast so i want to ask you something that is not related to the paranormal at all but it's something that i've been following for like a few weeks now and there's been like a new revelation happening in this thing have you uh, have you been following the gabby petito and brian laundry um not too much my boyfriend has and i've been Mm. hearing things mostly through him about it but yeah, uh, I'm not really sure too much. It's very interesting. So basically, this is like true crime. Right. This is yeah, this is yeah, not paranormal. Yeah. But I've been like intensely like waiting for details on this case because I do follow <gasps> a lot of like true crime stuff. So, okay. um, and like a lot of my podcasts that I listen yeah, to are true yeah. crime and everything. But oh, I've dealt basically went deep in true crime. So yeah, I, I completely yeah. understand. <laughs> it's oh my god, this case is like so crazy so basically like brian laundry and gabby petito were a couple and Mm. they were engaged and they were traveling in their van around america Mm. like only just a few months ago maybe like five months ago and then it um so basically it was caught on like police camera that they were like having arguments and police were involved with like domestic disputes and shit Mm. um and not long after the police were involved with, like, a domestic dispute involving, like, right. Gabby and Brian, uh, Gabby went missing. Yeah, right. And it was, like, highly suspected that Brian, her fiancé, mm. her boyfriend, uh, was involved. Okay. Um, and he basically, like, returned home and, ha- like, totally refused to help the police at all. Yeah, I remember hearing that. That was fucking yeah. weird. It's like, oh, that's not sus. <laughs> like, it's so sus. Like, he refused to help them at all. His family refused mm-hmm. to to help them. And it's all really crazy. Um, and then he disappears. Mm-hmm. So he goes missing and his family has been saying, like, no idea where he is. They're not basically, right. like, yeah, giving any information at all. And then eventually the cops were like, we're searching your house. Yeah. And I think that maybe they, like, found some information in the house or maybe, like, Brian's family eventually gave the police more information. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they eventually found Gabby's body. Right, yeah. Like, after Brian had disappeared and she had been murdered. Mm. And so now Brian is, like, super suspect, yeah. still missing. Um, but it's just been in the past, like, week or so. Mm. Um, oh, so, sorry, I'm just kind of skipping ahead. No, that's okay. I'm jumping in my timeline. So, basically, they, it, like, maybe three weeks ago, they actually found 
Brian's body as well after he'd been missing for like weeks. Oh, as, like, yeah, that's after right. He was returning back yeah, home yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, and it's just come out that um, they've released the manner of death, which is uh, like sh- a shot to the head. So basically, they think oh. that he took his life. Okay, yeah. After disappearing, mm. not giving the cops any like information, and after oh. like, so Gabby had also found like her autopsy found that she had been strangled oh my god as well so fuck it it's like this really really crazy thing because like i guess like they were quite present on like social media and like instagram Mm. and they were kind of like in like yeah very influences available on the internet so everyone kind of could (laughs) see their lives and stuff is that all up there still yes i mean i guess so because after it all happened they wouldn't have had I no, they haven't taken it down, and like the last few posts of Gabby's oh, is like Jesus. photos of her traveling with Brian. Wow! And it's just been this really publicized thing where that's horrible. I know, Ooh. and you're just like waiting for little bits of information to come mm. out, and it's like, oh my god, Brian's disappeared, and then there's like um, been hints given from certain. People saying like he's in this area, he's in this area, right. and then everyone's so like, "Oh, we've got to be dead." They found him. Like, is there still? Is it just kind of like? I guess there's not much more to really go off. But I don't know. Do yeah. they like? That's crazy. Do they still kind of just? Yeah. Do they drop it or do they yeah. pursue it? I guess they would pursue it further. I'm sure there's some like conspiracy theory that they didn't actually find Brian and he's still out there. <laughs> Could well, you, oh. you know what? There is like this group of let's just call them internet detectives. No. Oh. No, no. Let's call them men's rights activists. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> who are saying that um Brian strangled Gabby as like self-defense because oh, she's they're so like tiny. Hell. <laughs> okay. she was tiny she yeah. was like a stick and he's like this yeah that's fucking so like ridiculous. gym bro you know they're like she was abusive to him so he okay. it was like self-defense and so he strangled her to defend himself mm-hmm. and then and they're like they think that he's like some kind of fucking like Hero. king fucking of hell. men like oh. <laughs> and they yeah there's like this huge group of like these people who really just like back him and think that you know oh, it was all deserved god that's so crazy i know jesus yeah i didn't look too much into it i don't know why but yeah that's that is absolutely wild i, I remember hearing when yeah. he was just in the house and like refusing to talk to anyone i was mm. like just fucking go in his house like just go like what do you mean it's so not- obvious well they would have fa- had to have some reason i to know go in. I know, and for ages he wasn't even, like, a suspect. He was technically, mm. like, a person of interest. So they couldn't, like, even though he was travelling with her and there was, like, this domestic... And, like, it's all really sus because one of the cops that kind of dealt with the, um like, domestic dispute that they were called to when mm. they were travelling together, um, he didn't deal with the, the whole situation very well. And right. it's like, well, if he had dealt with that better, yeah. Gabby wouldn't have kind of been left in this situation that was, um, you know, potentially, well, it was life-threatening because, like, Brian killed her. You know, if if oh my God. the cop had, like, done his duty yeah. properly, then it 
yeah, yeah. would have ended better than how it did. And then there's like Brian's parents. A lot of people think that they're involved somehow oh. in like Gabby's murder. And yeah, so there's a lot of Ooh, like they're going to disappear talk. soon too. Then by the sounds of it, <laughs> yeah. So it's all very interesting. I know it's not paranormal no, related, but. I mean, I've been following it so yeah. carefully. I'm just like, I'm going to ask Steph if you've been following it as well. Yeah. Oh, it's such a crazy story. Uh-huh. And it's like just, oh, my God, I've been watching, like, so many videos. Just oh, really? All right. Trying to get any it. details. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well, um, uh, we also wanted to talk about Patreon. Patreon. Oh, my God, why did I say it like that? Patreon, Jesus. Pa- pa- Patreon. Patreon. Uh, we... Are on Patreon if mm-hmm. uh, you guys were interested. Uh, we do have a – if you do become a patron, we actually do have a private Discord server, which we mm-hmm. – I mean, me and Jordan are on Discord every day, so it only makes yeah. sense for us to have Discord. So if you haven't used Discord before, it's awesome. It's just like pretty much a chat room, a live chat room, and we've got yeah. different, like, rooms where we could talk about stuff, about episodes or – Ghosts or Bigfoot or whatever you want, anything really. So yeah, that's something we've yeah. got there. Yeah, we have like two basic tiers, which is what we're kind of just like keeping it at, yeah. you know, for for a while until we get a, you know, better understanding of how all this stuff works. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so the the bottom, what well, the first tier is mm. kind of a general support. Yeah type tier but yeah there's like perks on on both one and two both the mm-hmm. uh tiers and yeah that'd be awesome if you yeah if you guys support us that way yeah so that's up and running um and we also in a couple weeks which is crazy we're gonna have christmas coming up so we will be doing probably a christmas themed episode I can't wait. I'm so excited for a Christmas theme. I love Christmas. Yeah. I'm yeah, like I such Christmas a Christmas too. hoe. Yeah. Oh my God. It is just like <laughs> the most exciting time of yeah. the year. I used to be like that Grinch that was like, oh, I fucking hate Christmas. Yeah. But I am, I have. The older sh- I've gotten, the more I've loved it. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone's kind of, I completely understand. Like everyone's had got very different relationships with Christmas. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah. obviously a lot of people aren't close to their family. Like for me, I've only got, yes. the only family I really have is my mom and my two sisters and then mm. my best friend, their family and like yep. a close friends. That's kind of all we've ever had. But mm. um, yeah, so it's never really been a big thing, but we've always just cooked shitloads of food, just yeah, eat good food. until we're in coma and then just yep. watch absolute trash TV and just sing Christmas yeah. carols. Like that is literally, and it's just great. Um, oh, my God. And it's, it's always just, just like so hot. Like, oh, it's the weather so is hot. hot. You eat all the food and then you just yeah. go into like a food coma on the lounge. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone has like the air conditioning. afternoon nap and then you eat the leftovers yeah. the again leftovers. for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and then possibly your- for breakfast. <laughs> Does your family eat prawns? Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. eat, like, kilos of prawns. We're, we're already discussing. My sister Bella has already made a group chat of what we're eating for Christmas this year. And yep. we're already trying to say, we're like, okay, let's go. Because usually, I mean, literally, there's, like, four, four or five people at Christmas. And we're like, okay, we need ham. We need the prawns. 
Mum's always like, I'm making the Nigella Lawson chicken. It's the best chicken <laughs> you can get. It's the Nigella Lawson recipe. Nigella. <laughs> she loves us. So, and it is very good chicken. So yes. she makes like a roast chicken because um, like a turkey, like a fucking serious, we'll never finish it if there's that many. It's like four people. I don't like, think I've <laughs> ever, I don't think anyone in my family no. has ever roasted a turkey <laughs> it's just ever. way too, way too big. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're having Christmas at my house this year because I have a big Ooh. backyard and I told everyone Yay. we're getting a blow-up pool and we're oh, getting nice. a barbecue and we're cooking shitloads of big juicy prawns nice. and um, making a cheesecake and we have no presents. We don't do presents anymore um, because I feel like we just, I don't know, it's hard when you're an adult getting presents for other adults. I don't know. It's hard, yeah. It kind of just turns into a bit of like an obligation yes. type thing. Yeah, yeah we're, we're – kind of the same like i'm actually having our uh christmas at oh, our cool. house as well for the first time ever yeah i've never hosted oh, a christmas I've, before. I've done it once before when i lived in a group house and i had my family oh, over it no was way. really fun it was really fun that would have been fun yeah, it was good. yeah it's kind of like peak adult maturity mm-hmm. when you've decided to host like the family oh, christmas i think yeah yeah, I'm I'm very excited. It's yeah. going to be just chaotic. I'm going like, to buy so many family... Christmas decorations this weekend. Like, I, I'm so oh, excited. Oh. I've got heaps already from last year, but that was when I lived in like a little unit. So I only got like yeah. a little tree and like a couple of little like Christmas baubles and a bit of tinsel. And I'm like, no, no, what can I put outside the fucking house? And Dylan's like, do not put anything outside the house, please. <laughs> I'm like, what do you oh, mean? No, you have I know. to. He's like, I don't want to be that house. And I'm like, oh, fine. No. He's just, he's, he's scared of Christmas. I don't know. Oh, he's the actual no, Grinch. Yeah. Me and my family, every year we do like our Christmas light drive. Like we yes. drive around looking at Christmas lights. He likes the Christmas lights, actually. Christmas that Eve. That gets every everyone year. going. It gets everyone going. Me and my mum sit in the back of the car while, like, my dad or my boyfriend drives, and we get drunk. And Mad? Didn't we, think like, about that. What? Yes, drink champagne. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and we, like, so there's an app that you can get now where it tells you where all the best Christmas lights in your area really? are. So we download the app, drink champagne, and get drunk looking at Christmas lights, and then, oh. yeah, have a great, great old time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I highly, highly recommend okay, I'm this. I'm gonna have to get that up. <laughs> also, before we go too far off the track, um, yeah, we are also doing <laughs> a bit of a rambly episode. <laughs> this, me talking about bloody murder cases <laughs> and, and Christmas and. <laughs> um, yes, just really quickly before we go too far off the track, we are also doing a, a listener story episode. Uh, we're going to be doing that. Kind of soon-ish. So, hmm. if anyone out there has um, a really spooky paranormal story that they would like to share, please get in touch with us. You can email us at spookymountainpodcast at gmail dot com or get in touch through hmm. our like Instagram, Facebook, whatever. We want to tell your story. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're yeah, hoping so- to get it up and going. Like probably into the new year, we're thinking. Like just at the yeah. start of the new year, and we Beginning kind of, of want these yeah. to be more casual I guess like I know we, we do tend to ramble a little bit at the start and then we get yeah. down to our stories but these ones I think we we, we like to straight talk. to it yeah like this is all about your stories so and we yeah. know you you all have them <laughs> yes um yeah. so 
like yeah and even if you know someone that has got a story that wants to share it um or even if it's just a really fucking scary thing that you've heard and you don't even know if it's Mm. true yeah we would love to read it out we'd love to share it um yeah because we had so much fun doing that last time on camera so um we probably won't have the backdrop are you gonna have the backdrop i don't know my backdrop is still up it's still up i'm looking yeah from our halloween episode so i don't i don't know i mean mine i could i'm not i can't do mine anymore because i've sold the shelves on gum tree oh okay yeah yeah. (laughs) all right well i'll take mine down so (laughs) So, that so that we're the same yeah 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 yeah. um um uh did you want to get into your story for the week your mm. Your UFO story. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to be telling a story that I think is fucking terrifying. Ooh, uh, okay. It's it's pretty unbelievable. Like uh-huh. it's, it's very strange. Um, it's an incident that happened to John Vasquez and over 1,300 other people. So... Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. It's a lot of people involved in this. <clears throat> the following is all from this book, Incident at Fort Benning. Uh, so John Vasquez and his co-author Bruce Holmes actually went through years of regression therapy. Um, mm. So the book is actually filled with a lot of stuff that came from that therapy and also contains a lot of government documentation, uh, documentation from this oh, event that happened oh, as well. Okay. Yeah, that's always exciting. Yeah, yeah. So this is pretty much the the source of all this. Um, They experienced an attack that seemed like something from War of the Worlds. That's pretty much the best way to describe it for me. Like, Wow. um, It's just really fucking scary. Um, Yeah. And it's unclear if this was actually an alien invasion or if it was something else. Okay. Um, All he knows, though, is that... Uh, Vasquez, he he did experience something along with all mm-hmm. these other people. Um, but, yeah, so I'll get into what happened. So it all begins at Fort Benning, which is a military training facility on the southern border of Alabama and Georgia in America. Mm-hmm. This place has been around since the Civil War and it's highly and has highly trained soldiers here for weapons training. In 1977, it was a hot and sticky southern night and all the soldiers were called to wait outside their barracks for further instruction. It was 7.30pm and Vasquez states that this was unusual, so everyone was on edge and wondering what their superiors were going to tell them Hmm. Um, because usually it's not that late at night. Um, As they were all in formation, it must have been around 30 minutes of waiting And at this point, a few of the men started to get distracted by movement up in the sky. One of the soldiers pointed out at a bright star to Vasquez and he could see it moving around the sky in a fluid motion. Hmm. This then started to cause a bit of a commotion and the captain then decided to jump up onto the podium and try to distract everyone from what was happening in the sky. As he spoke about their training... The men all started to turn to the sky and then an incredibly strange rumbling sound surrounded them. Ooh. The noise seemed to swish back and forth between the crowd of men, which was too much for them. 
the formation mm. broke and they all scattered running around as oh. fast as they could. <laughs> no way. They just forgot their training. They like, freaked totally. out. Yeah. Mm. Um, but as this was happening, a really bright blue and white light had come down fast from the dirt road that was opposite them and coming straight towards them. Oh, yeah. Well, that's scary. Yeah. It's very scary. So Vasquez, of course, started to panic and tried to mm. get the guy in front of him to notice the light. And Vasquez waved his hands around only to see that the man was in a catatonic state. He was oh, completely shit. immobile and standing up but asleep. Oh, my God. Vasquez started to try and move himself, but mm. he was also stuck. He was frozen as well. Yeah. He started to look around. He could see some of the men were also frozen um, and noticed that this was because of the bright light. It seemed to be freezing everyone. However, okay. there were some men that hadn't been affected by this yet and they were just running around, <laughs> just screaming. Yeah. Um, some of them have hidden in the barracks in small core spaces and the captain on the podium was also frozen and he had a really strange expression stuck on his oh, face. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, I'm imagining a, a big mouth, yeah, <laughs> a, a like, big open mouth. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so one of them, um, yeah, they decided, look, I'm going to try and run and hide somewhere. This is fucking terrifying. Mm. Um, and he, one of the guys that tried to make a run for it noticed Vasquez and was like, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Move, come on. And he was like, oh, he's in a catatonic state, but he could, you could tell he was awake still, like he had some sort of movement yeah, in his like, face. Yeah. So he mm. knew that he wasn't completely lost. So he kind of dragged him and got Vasquez into this crawl space under the barracks, which is where everyone was hiding. So they both pretty much huddled together under this mm. crawl space and were in complete panic and having mm. no idea what was going on. As they laid there, they could hear the men outside screaming and <gasps> wailing. Oh, my God, that's terrifying. Yeah. Fuck. And they started to think to themselves that the Russians had attacked them. Um, oh, okay. That's pretty much all that they could think of. Right. Um, then they started to hear the same loud rumbling noise as before. And as they looked outside, they could see a large dark mass silhouette, silhouetted in the night sky. They mm. could see this very clearly because those blinding lights from before were below and it was casting a bright light underneath the mass. So okay. it was making it super clear. Mm. They managed to get the group together inside. So there's a, a small group of them inside the barracks mm. and trying to make a plan of action. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? One of the men said that they should all run, just make a run for it and try to get to the other barracks. And just see who else mm. they can find, um, as there was no hope for the others because they were all dead. Vasquez <sighs> did not want to face the same fate as the others, so he mm. actually just gathered a few of his friends and were like, "Let's try and escape through the crawl space. We'll just, you know, go under the barracks and go out that way." <clears throat> now, as they were making their way towards the uh, the crawl space, Vasquez started to hear a really strange robotic female voice speak to him mm. and it said it's okay don't be afraid <laughs> oh my fucking god what the fuck who is that and why are they talking like that why is there a robot what is going on scary robot lady <laughs> and 
And none of the other men seemed to hear this voice at all. And they actually started to look really concerned at Vasquez because he told them what he heard. And they were like, nope, we didn't hear that. And he would have just lost his shit as well. Just suddenly being like, that's a robot woman. Yeah, so they were very concerned for him. And, uh, yeah, then... As they finally all managed to get out of the crawl space, the light outside was so intense that Vasquez held his hand up so he could try and see, and he saw to the left a small dark figure. The figure then quickly ran into the light source, and then Vasquez heard a popping noise, and it felt as though he had been shot, and then he then he just completely blacked out after that. Mm. His next memory which felt like only moments later, he was lying down with his eyes closed. He could feel he was being watched. He then heard two male voices telling him to keep his eyes closed and then he started to feel as if he was floating. Vasquez stated that he kept blacking out and waking up again to this weightless feeling Mm. but kept his eyes closed the entire time because he'd be way too scared to open them up. Mm. And he then woke up again to the same strange robotic voice asking him, how do you feel? Oh, my God. (laughs) He didn't reply because, first of all, he couldn't speak, but also he was insulted by the question (laughs) because he just had no idea what was happening. Yeah. And he started to slightly open his eyes and he could feel he was being surrounded. He started to notice that there were rows of metallic slabs, rows and rows of them, and all the other soldiers were laying on top of them, just like himself. could see the other soldiers there on the slabs. Yeah. And as he started to awaken a bit more, the robot voice told him to go back to sleep, and so he did. Fuck this robot voice. Who is this person telling him what to do? (laughs) (laughs) Once he started to wake up again, he felt he was in a different location. He started to open his eyes and he could see a creature standing there. He describes it as having a large lumpy head, no ears, a small nose, a small mouth and extremely large dark eyes. Vasquez said that the being started to talk with him telepathically as he could see that his mouth was not moving. Mm-hmm. It demanded Vasquez to look him into his eyes as he spoke to him. And at first he didn't want to, but no. he he eventually did. He didn't really have a choice. He was like, okay. <laughs> and when yeah. he looked into his eyes, he could see visions of the oceans and himself being surrounded by water with no land at all. He then saw a vision of a destroyed planet in a fiery blaze. Then another being came to him in his mind. It looked similar as the one before, but this was paler and its eyes looked like liquid. Hmm. It was also wearing a white uniform, but appeared to be more human than the other being. And then pretty much as soon as he started to focus a little bit more on that being, he blacked out again. When he finally woke again, which seemed like only moments later, he was standing in formation in front of the captain just before the lights had appeared. Holy shit. He wasn't standing in the same spot as he started 
and he started thinking, oh, my God, what what was <laughs> going, going on? on? And as mm. he's starting to really think about what just happened, the captain screams, get back to your barracks now. And the men started to head back to the barracks as fast as they could and like a third of them all just fell over each other and collapsed to the ground because they completely lost their balance. Some mm. of them started to throw up because they were so disorientated. Disorientated, yeah. They started to check their watches and noticed that all their times were completely different on their watches. Mm. And as he got back to into his barracks, he started to undress himself and he noticed that the uniform was in a very distressed state and it had a really weird smell to it, almost like a mm. gas smell. Mm. Also, the buttons on his shirt and pants were all done up unevenly. And, <laughs> Aliens don't yeah, know how to do it, buttons. And the knots on their shoes were just a complete mess. Like, <laughs> <That's>, just fucked. <laughs> there is something about that that is a little bit adorable I know, as like, well. Oh, make it look like they don't know. Yeah, we could try and just do up the buttons and the shoelaces, but they just don't know how. It's, it's so <laughs> obvious. It's like, wow, well, a human did not do this, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, everyone pretty much went straight to bed that night, but... Mm started to display some very strange behaviour. Some of the men slept with the sheets over their heads. Others did the same, but they had a flashlight on underneath. And Mm. others claimed that they were seeing terrifying hallucinations on the walls. Mm. Vasquez is unsure if he slept like the others, but ended up waking up very late in the morning. Um, Doesn't remember ever going to sleep. Some of the others were already up. And they were in a daze that morning, just very slowly eating breakfast. None of them really seemed to remember what had happened. Just like Vasquez, as at that point, he didn't remember anything past the scroll, uh, the crawl space under the barracks. That was actually his last mm. memory. <clears throat> so the next few weeks, it just got weirder and weirder. They noticed that their commanding officers had left them to fend for themselves. So they all thought that this was part of their training and maybe that they were being assessed remotely. Mm, they do. Like, yeah, yeah, I know in Australia, like, the army does weird. Yeah. See, they, they <laughs> Shit like that, but like, not to uh, that degree, though. Well, yeah, mm. that, that's the thing. Like, they're like, oh, okay, so they're just kind of gone now. So, mm. yeah, they just assumed that they were still doing training um, and they – started to conduct war games with the other neighbouring camps. Mm. Oh, Mm. interesting. Yeah, this place is massive. It's pretty much a suburb, like a town. It's huge. So there's lots of different sections. So this is all one huge. It's very hard to kind of understand because obviously I've never, I do not have any military background or anyone with a military background really. So it's quite hard to understand it, but I feel like there's like multiple camps yeah um that are all under the, like different captains yeah. um and this I is about know. 500 people right right i don't know if it's the same at all in terms of like size and amount of people but my my brother is in the army yeah and so i do have like a vague idea as oh, to yes, that's right. how a location like this can kind of be almost like a little town yeah you know or like yeah, yeah got, lo- it's yeah, massive. Like, like I couldn't believe mm. it. Um, I'm glad I kind of yeah. looked at it on Google Maps because it kind of yeah, 
gave me a bit more of a, a clearer perspective of, of how big this this really is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and some of them are huge as well. Some of the major bases are like yeah. in Australia anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of room in Australia, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, they pretty much were like, look, let, we'll just go to, you know, it's all obviously not real. They're not shooting each other, but, you know, we'll go yeah. to war with one of the other camps mm. and we'll kind of show them, you know, how good we are without our leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In this actual camp, there was about 250 men, sorry, not 500, so 250 men in this camp. Um, mm-hmm. And Vasquez was actually the one running it at the moment because he, mm. he kind of took charge of the situation. He was one of the higher-ups at this point, but, you know, okay. once their superiors left, it was up to Vasquez. He was like, fuck, all mm-hmm. right. So the soldiers in his camp that he was running, uh, mm-hmm. they actually claimed during this time that the sky turned around like a gyroscope, meaning that they felt that they were not moving at all, but the sky Ow. was moving around them. Right, Yeah, right. there's a lot of I understand. weird things happening. So that was one of the weird things mm. that um, they described. Um, they also got trapped by an invisible force field that was preventing them from moving down a hill. They're actually pretty much out in the wilderness at this point. And they were on top of this hill. They're trying to make their way down. And literally over 200 men and they hit like an invisible force field and they could not get past it and they started to absolutely freak out. And they noticed that if enough of them worked together, they could slightly move the field a little bit further and further. So they were all trying to do that. And then some other ones that weren't really doing that started to panic Mm -hmm. because they said, if you look down the bottom of the hill, there's an identical group of soldiers <gasps> at the oh bottom of the hill in a circle. And oh, they were just standing in a circle at the bottom on. of the hill and they were freaking out. Of course they were, like, they were that freaking looks like out. Us, but at the bottom of the hill. But also just imagine being with that massive of a group of people and hitting a fucking force field. I- <laughs> What you'd be like exactly, yeah. So the gyroscope thing is kind of with the gyroscope and the force field. I feel like it was like in a weird dome, like that they were in, mm. and that's that's how I'm yeah. kind of interpreting it. That's what it sounds like. And but why is there another group? Yes, that's right. So there was another group, um, and I, I don't mention this in 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 this story, but there is actually in the book another group of like another camp of a few hundred other men also mentioned later on that they noticed a similar group of them as well. So there was actually a few of them. They thought there was like a rogue um, like army going okay. around and they were freaked the fuck out because right. it wasn't obeying orders or anything and they were freaking out Ooh. thinking that there was like some shit wow. going down. So mm. some really scary shit. Um, yeah, so a few days after this event, uh, they were still dealing with this whole military scenario they thought they were meant mm. to be in, so they were totally exhausted at this point. Um, they were getting no clear instructions from anyone. They hadn't had mm. a proper meal or showered in days. They wanted it to end. Vasquez actually contacted the general and asked for all of this to end <laughs> on behalf of his men. Mm. He was like, we don't know what is going on. Like we actually kind of thought this would just be done like in a day and it's yeah. just going and going yeah. and we're, we're kind of lost. Um, yeah. 
And the general was like, okay, well, how about I organize a helicopter and I'll take you guys back to the barracks. But apparently he didn't seem so clear on that and was like it could or could not happen. It didn't seem too certain. So they weren't very sure if they were actually going to get picked up or not. So they pretty much had to go right. back out into the into the wilderness and just wait to be found. So the general wasn't like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you out there in the first place? No, he, he, he was, was just like... He wasn't... So the general's kind of the one that's like in charge of this entire, like I think the whole Fort Benning thing. And he then he's like, I don't fucking know what's going on. Like, you guys just maybe pick you up. Yeah, like he's got other shit to worry about. But he was like trying to be like, okay, we need to understand what's going on. Right, Um, right, right. Okay. And yeah, so he's like, yeah, 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 maybe. Okay, you're a helicopter. Um, And then they, yeah, so they were meant to meet, they were meant to get this helicopter, hopefully get dropped off to their barracks. Really, really vague idea of what's going on um now this one night they were still out there they had no ammo left no food mm. no sleep just absolutely fucking defeated way too tired to carry on they were completely willing to accept accept defeat they were like we don't fucking care anymore and mm. they started to see their helicopter in the distance and they were like oh my gosh they could see it had the spotlight it was looking for them and they're like yes amazing thank fuck (laughs) and when this happens it usually means okay there's obviously if we're going to pick these group of men up that means it's all over the whole thing's over and when and like a when you go and exit a training period like this, they actually mm. let off heaps of gunfire to kind of make it clear for everyone in the area that it's, it's all over, everyone go back. But they didn't hear anything. They were just kind of waiting and they're like, what the fuck, can they see us? Like, what's going on? And they're watching this helicopter and then all of a sudden behind the helicopter, this huge bright blinding light, like before, just appeared. It was so bright. And then I bet they were just they, so done at this point. They were like, the not men were again. like having Yeah, some of them were like in full panic mode because they weren't sure of I can't course. go through this again. Is this part again, of the, yeah. training? the training? Is this the helicopter? <sighs> Is this a fucking UFO? Like they can't fucking this is like handle psychological it. torture. It literally to is be- in that state and exactly. then to be seeing that They're shit. They fucking have no idea what's going on. And mm. and some of the men are just like, fuck this, all right, and they run towards the light to be like, hey, yes, we're here. And as soon as the men walk into that light, it throws them about 600 yards away, like completely <gasps> relocates them and just and they're just in like a completely different section and they're like, what <gasps> the fuck? going on they see him at the other end of the field and they're like oh my god so that was really weird so then obviously a lot of the men just stopped and waited for the helicopter but the helicopter just never saw him and just in the distance just kept going looking for him and then just disappeared and they're like what the fuck is going on what absolutely insane so they ended up they had to keep doing their missions they were just like you know they had to go to certain places and drop off like certain things and so like mm. fuck I may as well just try and see if we can see them along the way and do our little missions yep. here and there and they ended up finding some jeeps and they just all got on their fucking jeeps and they all just drove back to the barracks so like we'll just take ourselves <laughs> back don't worry like this is very far away we'll just fucking get there mm. ourselves 
Finally, they got there, they were getting themselves fed, undressed, and they were waiting for their next orders because they, at this point, they're like, okay, this is probably all part of the plan, but yeah. now we'll just see what's going to happen, what, what what's going on tomorrow. Um, and it's now about 10.30 p.m. that night, and all the lights in the barracks start to flicker quite badly, and the men all start to panic. And just remember, like, these men are going to war. Like, yeah. And this yeah. is fucking traumatizing them. Like, this is of course. traumatic stuff. These are like hardened yes, men. That's right. They've know. been trained to handle the most horrible situations. Oh, yeah. And this is oh, like absolute torture. And, you know, they're all second guessing themselves. Like, I can't fucking do this shit. Like, what is, no. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I would be crying for my mother yeah. at this point. Yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. Take me to my mum. <laughs> yeah, this is so traumatic. So they all start panicking, going, oh, my God, this can't be happening again. Mm. They're looking around for the authorities. There's no one there. And they're like, fucking hell. All right. And they all leave together. They all get in the car and they all um, they all drive down the dirt road to try and find the general. Mm. They see the general and he's driving up towards them in his car. And he said, oh, don't worry at all. It's just like some weird electrical issue with the lights. Nothing to worry about. Um, however, later on that night, they all happened to encounter, including the general, a massive light object above them. They were all ordered to fire a missile at it. So it was the same giant. Oh, shit. Light. Yeah. So this is only about, a f like, maybe about 10 minutes later, just a bit further down oh the road. Oh, my fucking God, yeah. these poor guys. So this light came back. He was like, all right, shoot a missile at it. And it <laughs> the missile went up and this huge light source consumed the <gasps> missile and then just dropped it like it was trash on the ground. Oh, fuck. And just didn't, like... Engage or anything, he just dropped it on the ground just and they all dropped like, it like it was nothing. Fuck? And they're like, All right, kid, you know, shoot at it, shoot at it, shoot at it. Yeah. So they all just started shooting at the object and it started shooting smaller light balls, <laughs> smaller balls of light at the men. One of them actually hit a helicopter, which caused it to malfunction. Oh, shit. And the soldiers that actually got hit by these little light balls got severe mm. red welts all over their bodies. Vasquez actually mm. got hit on the leg and he had this rash as well. Um, but it was just like, I'm saying rash, but it was like like huge sores, like massive welts. Right. Um, and this lasted for hours. Uh, this was going on for a long time. Vasquez had managed to get himself back to the barracks because he was like, fuck, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. And he mm. went into that same crawl space. He just hid <laughs> right under there oh, in his the little safe zone. Crawl space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his <sighs> safe space. <laughs> and once this event had finished, there were no more attacks like this. Um, they were all still unsure for the days after if this was an elaborate training exercise mm. as no men had actually died but they'd been extremely messed with mentally and they had injuries. Uh, so mm. they're like, oh, well, I guess I didn't kill us, so maybe mm. it is kind of all an exercise. Um, they tried to move on and not ask too many questions about what had happened mm. until a female lieutenant was assigned to their location. 
Now, this was strange as Fort Benning is known to be predominantly male, um, but they later found out that she was a psychiatrist and they think she was there to help erase their memories as to what had happened. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that's shady as shit. Exactly. Now, a lot of the men that actually went to speak with her came out afterwards and weren't able to remember what hap- What had happened. Mm, that's sus. And uh, this is not an uncommon tactic uh, with the military because in World War One, there is proof that they had experimented with this. And also, yeah. let's not forget MKUltra. Yeah, so it's like there is a history of, like, the military doing this. This is not pure conspiracy Exactly, theory. that's right. This is something that has happened. This is proven that yeah. it has happened. Yeah. Um, but in this case, we're not sure, but it's... it's uh, It seems like it, yeah. It seems like it probably did. So, yeah, I think that they probably would have done that with no issues. Um, mm. But anyway, Vasquez didn't actually start to remember any of this until... The 80s. So this all happened in 1977 and it was like around mm. early to mid 80s he actually started to have a lot of these situations and events pop into his dreams when he was having dreams mm. and he was like, what is mm. going on? This is crazy. So he tried um, hypnosis therapy. So that's where he really started to regain a lot of these memories. And after April in 1989, he had remembered some incredible details about these events and also managed to get a hold of declassified documents that were trying to cover up the event. Oh, no fucking way. Mm. Oh, that's exciting. So some of the documents state that during this time in September 1977, there was a rubella outbreak which claimed to be responsible for the welts that they had. Um, But the weird thing is... At this point, they had all been completely vaccinated for this, so it wasn't even yeah. a, an issue. And also, oh my god, yeah, yeah. to be in the military, you were like so highly vaccinated against like everything. Absolutely, Rubella would be like such a standard like vaccination that you get. And they were saying like, if there was a rubella outbreak at Fort Benning, the CDC mm. would have been contacted, and there is no evidence. Nothing. Nothing. They've never contacted anyone, and they're only two-hour drive away. So it's like, okay, so what do you mean there was no rubella outbreak? No, and like the whole situation was like these men mm. got like the welts and the marks on their bodies after the little balls of light, and it was sudden. Yeah, it was. A situation. It wasn't like, oh, they woke up and yeah, that's there was right. like these <laughs> marks on them. You they know? had itchy bites. They had little itchy bites. Yeah. On them. So, uh, so Vasquez actually also has his medical records to prove what mm. had happened to him. He, he's got them all still. Um, however, there are now no official military documents to prove that his unit even existed. So they wiped everything. Mm. So he was part of the Delta Company 1st Battalion, 1st Infantry. So that was what he was in. And they're saying that that group never existed, which is hundreds of people just wiped off. Nope, they were never here. This is if you're gonna make if you're gonna discredit someone and make someone seem crazy. Exactly. This is how you do this it. You're you just like, it. what are you talking about? Your like rank didn't even exist or doesn't even exist. Ex- like <laughs> how it's so horrible. Luckily, yeah. he was actually able to contact another soldier who's Bruce Holmes. Mm. So he was also able to verify this incident and provide mm. a lot of other documentation. Now, Bruce Holmes was actually 
a higher ranking than him as well. So, um, yeah, that's he, he kind of helped co-write the book then patch all the story together. Um, but this story has so much more detail that I literally could not even touch on. It is insane. So if this... If you do find this exciting or anything, I highly encourage you to go read his book, um, Incident mm. at Fort Benning. I'll definitely link it in the show notes because I oh, yeah. think I'm definitely going to buy this book. I mean, oh, I was reading, sure. um, I was just reading parts of it and I was like, this is absolutely insane. Like, every, like, it's just crazy. And I, I love all this stuff and I don't know. It's hard with these ones, like, if I believe it or not, but like, I think it's a great story either way. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Especially with the whole like them oh it's it's tricky because like it's very brave. Mm. If this is not real, it's very brave for these people to come out and be like we were Absolutely. part of the military. This happened. There were hundreds of men with us. Also, I forgot to mention Bruce Holmes when he came out and said that he knew this happened, he was still at Fort Benning, like still up in the rankings. Right. So he was actually still employed <laughs> and was at like, that yeah, and fort, he was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, this happened. So he like and, and still was employed there. Like he risked his entire career and livelihood. Everything. Everything yeah. to, to like commend him and be like, yeah, I agree that this happened. So that's kind of another level to it of, of evidence, yeah, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, like, from my experience, like, with my brother mm. being in the army, if you're part of the military or the army or the navy or whatever, uh, like, part of the armed forces, like, that career literally becomes your whole life mm. at the detriment of, like, relationships and yeah. everything. Like, they're so dedicated to, like, yeah. what they do and they're very proud people in a way yeah as well so for someone to risk that much to kind of back up someone that like it, someone else exactly. and what they're saying is is a big thing like i think it's very um like confirming yeah i agree you know forgot to mention but that's that but it's, I, it's it's absolutely insane i know i I um I've only listened to a podcast on on this once like a couple of years ago and I was like I never want to forget this like it's I've never heard wild. of this yeah it's it's absolutely never heard and of there's this so thing. much more like this and this again like it's just mm. that much crazy stuff that happens it's like this is terrifying this is a hundred percent like a movie like what wow yeah yeah I yeah that's a fantastic story I've never really heard like you hear of you know, abduction stories and, mm. like, UFO sightings, but this is just so kind of... Action-packed. <laughs> yeah, so... And those Yeah, so much happening. And those poor people oh. to just go through so much and to be also at that level of, like, exhaustion, physical and, like, mental exhaustion and things just mm. keep on happening. And then after all that happening, to just be totally denied... Yeah. Yeah, that you'd be like it fuck. could possibly be real. Yeah, yeah it would <laughs> definitely fuck with your head a little bit. I yeah. think you know. Oh, what a fantastic story! Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I Mine, that. Mine's I loved it. Mine's going to be quite different. Oh, I'm, I'm so good to settle in. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> so for this. yeah, it is. It is a bit sad. So if you're feeling slightly fragile, then 
I don't know, get the tissues. Oh, Jesus. Ready. Right. <laughs> no, it's not, it is a very sad topic, but I don't think you're going to cry. So. I'm otherwise like, I, I'm always weird with these. I was like, I'll otherwise get very emotional or I just, my brain just goes into weird, like funny mode because I like panic and don't want to get emotional. You know, when you yeah. get things like, I just have to make a joke of it so I don't get upset. Just laugh about yeah. it. It's fine. <laughs> just make a joke. It's all good. I don't think you're going to be joking about oh, this. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but ho- I don't think you're going to be crying either. Yeah. All right. I will try. Okay. Let's go. So, uh, on March 11th, 2011, a devastating magnitude 9.1 earthquake rocked uh, Eastern Asia's seafloor, sending a wave of water the height of a 12-story building into Japan's coast. Oh Jesus! Okay. So, do you remember the tsunami that uh, yeah. hit Japan Absolutely. in 2011? Yeah. Fuck, I, I don't remember what I was doing, but I remember, mm. like, the reaction that I had when I first heard about it. It was just like, <gasps> like my breath was... It got, was terrifying, it, uh, yeah, seeing that. It was... The footage yeah, of very, it was very, fucked up. It's fucked up. Oh, my God. I've watched yeah. so much footage of it researching this story. <sighs> so... More than 15,000 people lost their lives mm-hmm. uh, in the tsunami. Millions lost access to running water and electricity. And more than 120,000 buildings were destroyed within just a matter of minutes. Oh, my God. To date, there are still over 2,500 people missing. <gasps> what? Which is a lot of people. Yeah. This Tohoku earthquake was the most devastating in the nation's recorded history. It was 2.46pm local time when the earthquake started. Centred 45 miles east of Tohoku, at a depth of 15 miles below the surface of the ocean, it shook the earth for a whopping six full minutes. Oh my god. Six full minutes. So when I read that that it it lasted six minutes i googled like the average kind of earthquake time and average it's like three and a half four minutes okay um it can last between like it can last seconds or it can last that is so long it was really long time and a very very high magnitude yeah yeah so yeah it uh this earthquake, it triggered 128-foot waves that crashed into northeastern Japan. Mm-hmm. The wave reached 40 metres above the shoreline, which is huge. Mm. A total of 217 square miles of land were just totally flooded, mm-hmm. which included the destruction of hospitals, schools, businesses, homes, railways, yeah. and everything else, including, of course, people's lives it was just like a steamroller like through these towns the tsunami also devastatingly caused a cooling system failure at the fukushima nuclear power plant leading to the infamous meltdown Mm. after the disaster as if nature wanted the last laugh a snowstorm started coming down (sighs) upon the survivors just as like oh. a last little yeah. fuck you. Wow. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very uh, upsetting. 
Um, so Japan's reconstruction agency estimated that the financial damage reached $199 billion. <gasps> mm. Meanwhile, the World Bank estimates that the total economic cost to be $235 billion, mm. Mm. which is just like you can't even imagine mm. that amount no. of money. Like it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. In the 65 years after the end of World War II, this is the toughest and most difficult crisis for Japan, said then Prime Minister Nato Khan. Mm -hmm. But as Japan forged ahead with its reconstruction, the disaster lingered in other ways, more supernatural ways. Mm. Shortly after the tsunami, traumatised survivors began to see the faces of drowned victims in puddles. They saw deceased loved ones wandering around the abandoned beaches and appearing at the doorsteps of their family homes. Mm. Silent figures drenched in water were also seen hailing cabs only to disappear once they climbed into the back seat. <sighs> and these weren't one-off sightings. Residents all across mainly the hardest-hit cities were reporting such apparitions. Yeah. Seeing a tsunami ghost in the months after the earthquake was not a rare occur mm -hmm. a occasion by any means and became just a widely accepted part of the aftermath of the tsunami. Yeah, I've heard of it was this, just actually. So, like, it's yeah. so common that, like, it everyone was, so was pretty much seeing them, which is Pretty terrifying. much everyone has seen a tsunami ghost yeah. and it's just like, oh, no one thinks that you're crazy. No. It's just like, oh, yeah, I've seen a tsunami ghost. You yeah. know, like, it's just <laughs> very, very, like, common. Um, So it... It was claimed by one reporter who had lived in Japan for 18 years prior to the disaster mm. that the encounters of ghosts and spirits after the tsunami was almost on epidemic proportions. Yes, yeah. wow. Especially, yeah. yeah, it's just like so many reports were coming in every day of ghosts, um, especially in the town of Ishinomaki. Uh, sorry, no, Ishinomaki. <laughs> uh, Ishinomaki suffered 3,097 deaths and also just a huge number of people are still missing from the town mm. after the disaster. Yeah. An incredible 50,000 buildings had been destroyed in this oh town. Oh, my God, that's a lot of buildings. 50,000 buildings. After this, the decimated city saw most of its population just relocate to different areas yeah. of the country or even abroad because they just couldn't bear to be around. Oh, you'd have to just leave. Oh, you couldn't yeah, be around that, mm. all that sadness, you know. Mm. In 2016, a student of sociology named Yuka Kudo from Tohoku Gakuen University, mm -hmm. I have to apologise to anyone who <laughs> speaks Japanese because I'm I'm hoping that I'm not murdering these. Yeah, the Aussies butchering, butchering these words. <laughs> butchering yeah, words. butchering the <laughs> words too badly. <laughs> I went over these words so many times and still I'm just like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, Yuka Kudo, um, she travelled to Ishinomaki to study this incredible ghostly epidemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in particular, she wanted to focus on the countless number of cab drivers who have claimed to pick up ghostly passengers on the side of the road only to just disappear before arriving at their destination. Mm. 
As I mentioned before, this is a common shared experience within the hardest hit areas. She interviewed 100 taxi drivers from the area and many responded with their own first-hand reports of lost ghostly travellers seeking rides to mysterious destinations. The first cabbie that was interviewed told Kudo of an encounter he had in the summer of 2011. Mm. It had been only a few months since the tsunami and there were barely any customers due to the widespread devastation. Oh, yeah, God. There was, like, no one around to even give rides to. So he was very just naturally shocked to suddenly see a young woman hailing him and his taxi down in a particularly hard hit area where construction had barely even raised buildings enough to make it not seem just totally like desolate and destroyed. (laughs) So weirdly, the woman was wearing a heavy winter coat in the middle of summer. Mm. And this woman was also completely drenched from head to toe dripping in water. Mm. The driver barely had time to realise how weird this was, considering that it hadn't even rained in days mm. before the woman the woman just briskly climbed into the back seat and strangely asked to be driven to the largely abandoned Minamihama district. This area had been completely deserted since the tsunami. Jesus. There really was just nothing oh. left standing there. So it's pretty creepy. That's so scary. <laughs> it is pretty scary. Uh, that area is almost empty, the cabbie said, while switching on the taxi meter. Are you sure you want to go there, he asked. Mm. There was a long silence. Then, in a shivering and weak, almost scared voice, the woman asked, have I died? <gasps> oh. oh. <laughs> I, uh, oh it's so scary. The terrified taxi driver turned around to face the customer but found absolutely nothing <laughs> nor anyone in his car. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but there was a distinct wet mark on the car seat <gasps> the where the dripping mark. woman had been sitting. Okay. That's why I'd never be a cab driver. We're scared of ghost passengers. The ghost passengers, all those ghost passengers, Mm. I know. I actually, I I used to do a lot of, like, night driving, right, Mm. because I used to work, like, night shift and, yeah, I'm just a bit of a night owl. Um, And I, like, driving through the Blue Mountains, like, there's a lot of really dark roads. And I used to get so creeped out sometimes that, I would like look into my review mirror and I would see someone like sitting in my back seat. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like a ghost. I don't know. It was just this yeah. thing that like Kate got stuck in my brain yeah, for a while. I mean, it is scary. There's a lot of roads in the Blue Mountains just don't have street lights or anything. No, and you just, no, no. Oh, that's scary. Okay. Yeah, very scary. So, uh,. Another taxi driver told Kudo that he picked up a confused-looking man in his 20s who kept uh, silently and aimlessly just pointing forward when asked where he needed to go. Mm. Finally, he said simply, Hiyoriyama, which is a mountain reserve near the city of Ishinomaki. Mm-hmm. This area is equally as abandoned mm. due to the, to the destruction from the tsunami. 
after careening up the mountain that overlooks Ishinomaki, the driver stopped his car so that he could drop off his customer on a plateau at the summit. Mm. But when he turned around to be paid by the, the uh, paid by the passenger, the man was gone oh. and there was nobody in his car. So okay. it's kind of like yeah. a repeating theme. Yeah. Is that it's like money. a customer <laughs> in a, a deserted area and they get picked up and then they disappear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is only a, v- a very select few experiences of taxi drivers that have experienced uh, ghostly passengers that are still looking for their way home beyond the grave. And it isn't only the taxi drivers of this area that are witnessing spooky and supernatural uh, supernatural happenings after the tsunami. One man in Kurihara said that he now absolutely despises the rain as he constantly sees the eyes of tsunami victims he once knew in the puddles that form around him. Oh, my fucking God. Imagine seeing that all around you. Yeah. Yeah, that's horrifying. <laughs> I know. It's very sad as well. It is it's constantly being it's reminded. It's so scary, you know? but so, so sad as well because you'd know a lot of the people that yes. were killed in this event. Like Pretty much everyone, everyone knew, knew someone. Some, at least a few people who died. You yeah, know? definitely. Uh, so the ghost of an old woman who died in the wave is said to haunt a refugee home in Onagawa and is said to regularly sit herself down mm-hmm. for a cup of tea in her old favourite seat in the room. Wow. The cushion that would be left out for her was purportedly soaked in seawater <sighs> every time her visits had finished. Wow. I think that it's so nice that they leave yeah. the they leave like a tea and a pillow out that's for her. Really, that's really that's sweet. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. In uh Talgaho, one fire station reported that they received incessant and constant phone calls all through the day and night with no one mm. at the other end. They ended up having the phone call traced, which led them to ruins in an area that had been just flattened by the oh, tsunami. Wow. Yes. The eerie phone calls didn't stop until the firefighters returned back to the ruins to pray for the dead. <gasps> then oh. the calls just stopped completely. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. But even aside from these already spooky occurrences, mm-hmm. there are more profound reports of tsunami ghosts than what I've mentioned. Mm. There is a well-known Buddhist priest in Japan named Reverend uh, Tao Kenita. And Kenita was kind of like the on-call Buddhist priest after the tsunami hit, mm-hmm. and he was on call to, like, bless and send off all the victims who had been killed by the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would end up performing over 200 funeral services wow. for victims oh, after the tsunami. Wow. Yeah, and it's really sad. He, um, I watched, uh, watched an interview with him, and he said that his first – Two blessings were two, like, seven-year-old girls. Oh, my God. Yeah, who were at school when the tsunami mm. hit, which is, uh, yeah, broke my heart. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so he, he would end up performing over 200 funeral, funeral services for these victims. Uh, and because the power was wiped from the Fukushima power plant mm-hmm. being destroyed by the water, none of these bodies were able to be cremated. 
oh. after they died. <gasps> yeah, so and cremation is the traditional that, form of burial right. within Japan oh as well. So they weren't getting yeah. the send-off that they were supposed They weren't to. getting their proper send-off mm. and because of the way the land had been affected, all these bodies were, just were stuck. Yeah. basically in like limbo they were like, in like almost like a mass grave uh, right right it was it's not exactly like a mass grave they weren't all just like chucked into a hole they had like these dividers yeah and they were in like boxes mm. um but it wasn't like individual yeah. um graves yeah um yeah so and they were kept like this until like the crematories were able to function yeah, again yeah. so they did eventually get cremated yeah i'm sure they would have yeah uh, yeah but i mean it's yeah still not nice to kind of have to make these like mm. nice graves and just yeah, put people in them um so yeah kanita became like the center spiritual confidant for those who were affected by the tsunami mm. uh giving spiritual comfort for those who had lost loved ones and those who were just super traumatized by what they had experienced yeah. He also became the priest who would try and help those who claimed they were being contacted and even possessed by the spirits who didn't uh, know that they had been killed by the tsunami in 2011. Right, okay. The one story that Kanita speaks about the most is that of a man named Takashi Ono, uh, which is a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. So Takashi and his family claimed that he had become completely possessed after the, after the tsunami disaster. Mm-hmm. Usually he was a very nice, ordinary man who lived a pretty basic life in the same ta- uh, town as Reverend Kanita. The tsunami was miles away from where they both lived mm-hmm. in their own homes, so they weren't directly affected by the disaster in the same way right. that the survivors in Ishinomaki and the surrounding towns were. Mm-hmm. So they didn't kind of, like, directly see the disaster okay. and see people dying and stuff. But, you know, they were affected in their own way, I guess. Yeah. So uh, while Kanita helped countless people bury their loved ones and help, you know, help them out spiritually, mm. uh, Takashi Ono stayed away from the disaster zone and tried as hard as he could to just block it out of his mind and ignore it. Mm. Uh, that was until he decided he would just finally go see the f- just flattened towns on his own with no one with him. Right. It had been months and he felt like he just couldn't avoid it any longer. Mm. And it was actually only about a week after the tsunami that Takashi actually realised the extent of the disaster. So he just kind of thought it was like a tsunami that came through, but he didn't realise. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, like he knew people had died here and there, but he had absolutely no idea that the country had just experienced one of the most, like, heartbreaking and horrific events in its history. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he drove down to the beach, um, at one of the most affected towns and he was just absolutely ruined by what he saw there. Mm. He had no idea of the destruction and how bad it was. He stayed in the location for a while, looking at the broken down houses and buried businesses. Walking around there. Just, just emptiness, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and he just spent some time thinking about all the poor souls that were lost and what it would have been like when the tsunami hit that day. Yeah. He then headed back home that evening to sit down for dinner with his family. He had his regular nightly green tea and then a can of beer. And then bizarrely, out of nowhere, Takashi was found rolling around on the ground of his backyard, mm. making animal noises, oh. growling and hissing and barking. <gasps> okay. Green Just tea. Totally Jesus. out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's a special kind of green yeah. tea, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, he- yeah, he uh, he started running out into the field behind his house, just r- absolutely what? rolling and covering himself in mud. Holy shit. To the horror of his wife and his mother, who had never seen him do anything like this before. No. He woke up the next day having absolutely no knowledge or memory of this. Mm-hmm. Takashi said he just felt totally normal and fine, like nothing had happened. This was completely out of the ordinary for Takashi. He had no history of mental health issues. He'd never had seizures before. Really, he had had no health problems Mm -hmm. whatsoever. This strange strange behaviour continued for three days straight. He, yeah, three days straight every night. He was also found to be talking in a deep and ominous guttural voice. Oh, God, I hate that. Oh. I know, I know, <laughs> it's very creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he began th- uh, threatening violence against his family and friends Ooh. and he started talking about the dead, which is something that he'd oh, never okay. done before. Mm-hmm. So it's all very sus. Uh, his family just were beside themselves and they eventually persuaded him to go to a priest to get blessed Mm. and to try to just send away the imposing spirits. And the priest to do this would be Kanita, the priest from the Buddhist priest from before. Uh, Once Takashi had arrived to see the priest, Kanita recited the Buddhist sutras and which are kind of like prayers. And Takashi was splashed with holy water and then, abruptly and seemingly out of nowhere, Takashi returned to his senses mm. and found himself with wet hair and clothes, yeah. <laughs> suddenly filled with a sensation of tranquility and release. Oh, my God. My head was light, he said. In a moment, the thing that had been there had disappeared. I felt fine physically, but also my nose was blocked as if I'd come down with a heavy cold. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all a bit confusing for him. (laughs) There have been multiple possession stories, very similar to this after the tsunami. Wow. And can, yeah, yep, it's quite a, it's like a semi common (laughs) thing. Um, And Kanita is not the only Buddhist priest who has supposedly just cleansed people of lingering spirits such as this. So, Japan has had a long-standing cultural relationship with ghosts, mm-hmm. or the yurei, as it's called in Japan. Mm-hmm. In the Shinto religion, yurei means literally the way of the gods, and this the Shinto religion is the indigenous faith yeah. of the Japanese people. Uh, another description of the yurei is a ruined or departed spirit. This is like the opposite of a peaceful or satisfied spirit. So I think 
what the case is they have kind of like two sides of the coin they have mm-hmm. a spirit who's kind of like accepted their death and they're peacefully on the other side mm-hmm. and then um they've you know the other side of the coin is kind of like someone who's died suddenly or really right. tragically and they weren't ready to go and they're not happy about yeah being dead and they're just they're still kind of got unfinished business yeah, you know, yeah. to fulfill um so in shinto the shinto religion it is believed that uh soul and spirit inhabit all things animate and inanimate uh many japanese people mm. but uh came to believe that because the tsunami took such a huge amount of victims before they were ready to go and so suddenly as well mm. these restless spirits still wander around the streets and the houses of the devastated towns oh, just looking for their families friends and homes to yeah. return to not knowing that they've passed on already mm. um so british reporter richard lloyd parry who travelled to Japan to to report on the phenomenon of ghost sightings after the tsunami, Mm -hmm. thinks that these paranormal experiences are not a matter of the supernatural, but more so that it's the manifestation of a nation processing its collective intense trauma and grief. Oh. Which is a very interesting take, I think. I think it's a very... I think it's an interesting take, but I think there's only so far that that can mm. take you. Like when so many people are like, there was a woman in the back of my car and I don't know like where she went. Yeah. And she was soaking wet. It seems like, like there's too many people seeing and experiencing this for yeah. it to be thought of as something else really. Like, Yeah, and like so many different types of encounters as well. Y- yeah. Hmm. So something that he does agree with is the principle that these spirits are real to whoever believes to have seen them. And in that context, they should be taken seriously. He said, what matters is that people believe in them. It doesn't really matter whether you or I believe in ghosts. What's real is the suffering and pain of these people, Mm. which is a very understanding opinion but also quite frustrating as well because yeah. <laughs> it's like ah, it's cool like yeah. yeah i don't know i i would prefer to just be like believed that i'm seeing yeah exactly like ghosts, yeah, you know? okay you saw you saw something uh, i don't believe you but i you know you probably saw something that you believe you did but that no, you believe it's is like, a ghost yeah you believe it's a ghost but i don't believe it's a ghost yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, god so um Other coastal towns across Japan have found other creative ways to grieve the loss of their loved ones that died in the 2011 disaster. For instance, the town of, okay, Otsuchi, Mm -hmm. Otsuki, Otsuki maybe, uh, has a phone booth that is called the Phone of the Wild and it uh, sits atop a hill overlooking the ocean that, allows those in mourning to send messages to their loved ones in another realm. That's so nice. I like that. It is so nice. It's the most beautiful-looking, like, setup. It's amazing. Uh, A man called uh, Sasaki Itaru installed the phone box in the garden of his own house. Oh, right. 
Yeah, it's so lovely. Inside the box, there is an old black telephone mm-hmm. that carries voices into the wind. Mm. Thousands of people make the pilgrimage there every year. I can imagine. over the world. Yeah. Yeah. They are people who have lost someone Mm -hmm. who pick up the receiver to speak to the other side. The owner of the phone, Sasaki, says that over 35,000 people have made the long trip out of his property to visit the phone of the wild or the wind phone, as it's also known as. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to think about the amount of death and devastation that happened in Japan during this disaster in relation Mm -hmm. to the supernatural. I mean, if anywhere is going to be haunted, it's going to be somewhere like here, I think. Mm. Even if somehow it's just the imprint, uh, the raw emotion that is being felt in these areas, it's still incredible. Um, just and like the proof of the power of human beings, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, definitely. And even though we see like Japan as mostly physically, uh, as mostly physically healed from the disaster, people from this area are actually tormented every day by these paranormal sightings of ghosts. Yeah, right. Um, so it's not like it's not a, over. It's still going. It's not over. No. So I think sometimes like ghosts and the paranormal, it's like, oh, well, that's comforting because we can see that they exist further on the other side. Mm. But with this, it's just like a constant reminder of like the death and tragedy that happened. Yeah to their loved ones Absolutely. and they it's just a horrible see them thing. like even looking at yeah. having the buildings rebuilt on top of locations that you already knew and like had memories of that are now gone oh my God. and you just be looking at it going no that's where i used to live like what the fuck is this oh, new building or i know like it's so sad something that i read was that a lot of people actually died okay there's like two types of sad yeah. to this part so a lot of people died because they were going back into their homes to retrieve. It's almost like a special kind of, like, book that holds, like, the names and the background information of their ancestors. Oh, okay. So a lot of people died because they were running back <gasps> to their homes to grab this. Oh, God. Even more so, they didn't grab money, they didn't grab other possessions they just wanted this book because it's like a family history okay and they kind of believe that having this written family history is like keeping your ancestors alive in a way and telling their story and so people died because they returned to get these books but also many people lost their ancestral information in the floods because the water destroyed them yeah and they're like old books, like really old books oh, that are like hundreds shit. of years so old. So it just you know? made everything just chaos. Like Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're it's very just so spiritual many... over there as well. Like the people are, are very so spiritual. Um very much attached to their ancestry. So yes. I feel like yep. if you're more open to that side of of that type of, of spiritual world, I guess, you know, like, I guess that anywhere in the world, there's going to be, there will be some trauma everywhere you go. Mm. But I guess it, it just yeah. depends on, on, on the people that are living there of who's picking up on it. Totally. Like, yeah, totally. I think so. And I think, like, also because a lot of the people who 
Oh, a big chunk. So this is again mm. very sad. A big chunk of the people who died in the tsunami mm. were children yeah. because it was a school day, and so they were oh. they got trapped in all the schools. In, yeah, they would have all been in the schools. They were all in the all. schools, and as well as children, it was elderly people mm-hmm. because they can't they, run. <laughs> They couldn't run. No. Oh my god, Steph! That's crazy. Some of the footage that I saw, you like, you could see. Okay, for anyone who doesn't isn't up for hearing this part, maybe just block your ears for yeah. a second. But there's like footage of, like, you can see the waves starting to come in, mm. and you can see elderly people trying to really walk as fast <gasps> as they can away from it, and people are just passing them. At, like oh, running past yeah. them and obviously oh, yeah, in that moment like you, do? you don't Fucking... what do you do so no one's to blame for that but it's like those poor elderly Fuck. grandmas and grandpas and yeah. they just they're trying to like get away and they can't they're old like yeah. oh my oh my god and yeah kids as well is very sad yeah, it's, yeah. so i think that's also like mm. an extra added level yeah of tragedy on yeah. top of what's already extremely happened, vulnerable that, people majority of them yeah. that that got yeah very vulnerable and just so much emotion attached to it yeah like, yeah yeah it's that's very very sad yeah I, that's it's a story that i um yeah i don't know where i heard the whole story about this but it's such a traumatic event that happened but yeah hearing about the amount of people that have seen the spirits of their family, friends, neighbours, like yeah. everything just ongoing constantly oh, everywhere they it's go. Wild. It's just nonstop. It's yeah, really there's, sad. So the the Buddhist priest, Kanita, he actually, mm. there's a show on Netflix called Unsolved <gasps> Mysteries. Maybe that's where I've seen it. Yeah. That's okay, where, that's probably so where I, I've seen it. It's a, it's a pretty, like, uh, popular oh, show. Okay. So, and that's where, like, a lot of mm-hmm. people writing about this, like, you know, phenomena that's happening with the ghost. Amazing. Ghost. Okay. This is where what they're referencing is this priest mm-hmm. interview mm-hmm. in Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. But, yeah, there's been, like, reports, all sorts of reports and people kind of, like, investigating. And, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Fuck yeah. We actually got a really, yeah, sad one. That's probably the saddest one we've had, I think. I think so. Oh, it was really hard to kind of like research. Oh, my God. So this this Unsolved Mystery episode, there was like an interview with a man who like found his baby. and Mm, Yeah. It's just. I watched it all once when it came out. I remember it, but I. Yeah, I think that's when I first heard about it. I was like, oh, my God, this is really yeah. fucking sad. It's horrific. Jesus. Yeah. All right. Anyway, maybe we should do nice, happy, fun ones next week. Yeah, just I'll to- do a really fun one. I, I will- Let's both do yeah, fun yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Leave us a review, please. We would love you forever. Um, really helps us uh, get out there, gets people... Um, knowing that we exist and uh, we've yep. had a couple of you buy our merch so far, which is really exciting. Oh yeah, what the fuck? We <laughs> now officially are going to be sending out merch to people yeah. because they bought it. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of T-shirts. Hopefully more people buy it. I know. That's so cool. So, yeah, we've got our yeah. website up and running as well. So 
Everything's on our website, spookymountainpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Check it all out, all of our socials and everything you need. Yeah. Is on there. Do it. Do it yeah. now. Do it now. Um, all right. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. This episode of Spooky Mountain was created and recorded on land of the original custodians, the Gundungurra and Bidigal people. We pay respects to the past, present and emerging mob. My name is Geordie and I'm a proud Glenya woman. Thank you for listening.